0: Get your tickets at AustinTheater.org.
1: Support for ATX Plained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey there. You're listening to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that formed and transformed them. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and for a decade of my life, I was a touring musician with the band Asleep at the Wheel, and my favorite moments were always before or after the gig when people would sit around and play the music they were into and tell you why they loved it. I got off the road a couple of years ago, but I still long to talk to musicians about music, and so I created this podcast because, in my opinion, musicians are the most beautiful when they're talking about the music that changed them. In this episode of This Song, you'll hear from pop singer and songwriter Shura. Shura released her latest record, Forever, in August, and Forever is spelled a little differently. It's F-O-R-E-V-H-E-R. The record was written during a period when she was falling in love with a woman who's now her girlfriend. And y'all, this album is full of love songs. I spoke to Shura live on the Bonus Track stage at the Austin City Limits Music Festival, and she told me about a song that she heard when she was a teenager that both terrified her and intrigued her. There are definitely
0: many songs that changed my life, but I think the reason that I picked this song is it's probably one of the only, if not the only song where I have a very vivid memory of hearing it for the very first time. Um, which is the song uh, Only Shallow by My Bloody Valentine. So my first job that I ever had was uh, working in a record store on a, on a Saturday uh, when I wasn't at school. And one of the guys who worked in the record store put on Loveless. And um, it starts with that song and it starts with this kind of snare and then what I can only describe as the most terrifying wall of sound that I'd ever heard in my life. Um, And I was really, truly frightened. I'd never heard anything like that in my entire life. Um, I'd only ever really listened, I, I suppose, to music that my parents played in the house or that was on the radio or that my friends, my peers listened to. Um, so, yeah, it was, I guess, my first sort of entry to a whole other world of music. It was really kind of what I, I kind of describe as a lifting the veil moment. And to go from kind of, I guess, being terrified by something to then falling in love with it is a very, is like a huge kind of transition or change Um you know, I had no idea what the words were. I had no idea how the sounds that I w- was hearing for the first time were being made. Yeah, and we kind of we listened to the whole record, obviously, in, in, in the store. But the, that moment, I really just sort of, sort of remember just this this feeling of kind of fear and also just, I guess, the word awe. You know, fear and amazement. I guess I grew up listening to a lot of, um, I, I suppose just pop music that, that was being played in the house because my, my dad sort of doesn't really, it's as if no one made music after the Beatles in terms of my, so he wasn't really kind of, he didn't really dig around for stuff. So we, we had Madonna, we had Tina Turner, we had Elton John like playing in the house. Blue
1: Jean Baby, LA Lady, Seamstress for the bang
0: and then obviously in terms of school we had people were still very tribal in the way that they listened so you you dressed like the music you listen to and so I guess people listen to either pop music and I, I remember the spice girls happening <laughs> yo we'll tell you what a really, really want. listening to punk pop and like Blink 182 and all that and and, and and I never really felt like any of these I didn't feel kind of represented by anything that I was I mean I liked it because everyone else did but it wasn't it wasn't anything that I discovered myself and I say that kind of knowing that obviously I didn't discover my bloody valentine someone else put it on and, and it scared the shit out of me <laughs> and I was like what, what is this I need more like I can't believe that this sort of music is made by by human beings um so yeah it was just it was just what was on
1: the radio. can you like go a little deeper into what about that music terrified you? you said there was like this wall of sound, but like well it's so it's
0: so loud it was so loud i I, I didn't understand how it was made I, di- I didn't know what was going on and I couldn't hear what they were saying or but it was it was strangely beautiful at the same time um, and it does I mean that record just starts with. But, 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 like it just starts with these, like these these snare sounds, and you're like, holy shit! Like, what is what is going on? Where am I? Who am I? Um, and it, I think it's just, yeah, it's so loud, and it, and it's so kind of, but but somehow delicate. I think that's what was strange. I d- I didn't understand how something could be. This kind of like wall wall of sound, just hit, like hitting you, but then really melodically, beautiful. It was it was kind of ethereal. And, and foreign to me and really exciting, really exciting. Mm-hmm. To me, before I heard this, songs were always about the lyric and the story that was being told through the words. And this was the first time that I heard something where that wasn't the most important thing. And as a musician, as someone who is, because I was already playing guitar at that point. I, I picked up a guitar when I was 13 years old. And, you know, I was writing about, you know, how shit I thought my life was because I was going through puberty, not really understanding that that's why I thought my life was shit and it was shit for everyone. Yeah, so to go through that, that experience of understanding or being shown that what you're saying isn't, doesn't always have to be the most important thing was quite exciting. And I, and, you know, and I also say this being a person who, lyrics are really important to what I do, but it's still sort of nice to know that it doesn't have to be.
1: Yeah. yeah. So at the time you'd said that the music that you had been listening to, like your parents' music, the music of your friends, that wasn't really, you didn't really see yourself yeah. in that music. When you heard the My Bloody Valentine song, Only Shallow, mm. did you start to kind of like see yourself too?
0: Yeah, well, so I guess to a, like a little bit of background on me, you know, I'm I was 16 at the time, discovering my sexuality, realizing that I was a gay woman, um, and and kind of like it sounds silly now to to say I felt like I was becoming an adult then, because as an adult now I'd be like, well, I was definitely not a grown up, <laughs> but but that that discovery and that the the, the start of the process of I guess. Discovering music that wasn't fed to me by other people was, a, I guess, a, one of my first moments of, of adulthood. It, it felt like that way. Pop music, there wasn't anything that I really could identify with in a, in a lot of it. Obviously that artists like Madonna, you know, have hugely inspired kind of me now. year old queer kid living in Manchester with all their fr- you know, all, all my friends were kind of listening to other stuff and I was like, I don't really feel like I fit in anywhere and it was probably, you know, I don't really feel like I fit into any of these music scenes and it was probably my own insecurities about, you know, my sexuality coming out, you know, in that way. It was a really private experience. I'm aware that when I'm talking about this song, if, if I asked my dad or I played this song to my dad, he'd be like, well, I've never heard you play this. I wasn't playing it at home on on speakers really loud. It was something I was listening to on a discman. It was like soundtracking my me getting ready to go to school, like an all girls school and 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 kind of feeling out of place and, and kind of almost comforting me in that feeling of feeling out of place and that oh clearly there's other people that feel maybe like they don't fit in like somehow. In,
1: in the world these people exist and yeah. when I listen to this music I am reminded of this and I yeah. can like Use it as a, some armor to go into this yeah. into school?
0: It's armor to go into school and also made me feel badass. So for 20 minutes on the way to school, I felt like a, a rock star. Yeah. But as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, I am definitely not. Like, oh, this is really <laughs> awkward. Like, help.
1: Did it change? You were, I mean, you were making music at the time. You were writing some songs about how upset you were about
0: life. Yeah, I think that one of my top hits was this song called Bored.
1: I'm ha- so bored. Did you ever record that song? Yeah. Oh my god, I'd love I'm never to hear sharing it. it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but did it? Did hearing that music change the way that you approached music at all?
0: Absolutely. I think it triggered a kind of a phase in my life that my dad would describe as me being allergic to the idea of a chorus. <laughs> um, so I, <laughs> I remember him saying to me like, "When are you going to write? When are you going to write a chorus again, Shu? and i I became i guess it it's what got me interested in production because I didn't understand these these sounds, but I knew that they were made somehow and i I had a laptop, I had garage band, I had a guitar, I had a four track and I just started um i guess experimenting and layering and I became very interested in the idea of um no longer writing as like a strict first chorus first chorus structure and just kind of going well how can I how can I use the the few instruments I have to make something that doesn't sound like I've made it with with the instruments that I've had? How can I use my voice as a as a kind of instrument rather than a, a storytelling? Like, how can it not just be a storytelling device?
1: How can the sound of the voice yeah. tell as much as the words? Kind yeah. Of thing. Oh, how interesting! And it's so interesting that your dad that you went through a phase where your dad said you were incapable of writing a chorus because. You write great choruses now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so did there was there like a coming back around to making like more structured yeah. pop music then?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that I think my allergy to the cho- chorus was one you know inspired by I guess discovering you know those kind of bands and also um, electronic music and uh, and that was so tied into I. Like, to puberty to being to being that age and wanting to kind of rebel against I guess what I felt like was mainstream and also because music was so tribal so you couldn't you weren't allowed to like pop music and indie music and like grunge or it's so sad to me to think that that was the case but it really was like you you listened to one genre and that was it Unless you're like queer and then you would also be like, okay, I'm just going to Google like lesbian musicians and you would be like, oh, Tegan and Sarah, great. Okay, I can listen to them. <laughs> uh, but I think the older that I've got, the more I've relaxed about the idea of genre and I haven't felt, and, and kind of rediscovered or refell in love with pop music. Like I remember kind of like five, six years ago where I finally felt like I could say I, I love Mariah Carey and no one would like judge me.
1: Same point at one point where I was like, you know what? I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. Mariah Carey has all jams and all I love the them jam. all. Like, yeah. 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 So when you talk about like kind of not having genre distinctions, it makes me think of your new album, Forever Her.
0: Yeah. For,
1: am I printed Do you just say forever or I is say, it forever? I say
0: forever, forever but spelled okay. the gay way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it makes me think of your new album, Forever, spelled the gay way. Um, and how your first record, nothing's real like definitely sounds like it has a lot of nods to like straight up 80s pop yeah but I have more trouble identifying stuff in forever because it seems to be all kind of like mixed up together yeah. Well I think
0: yeah you're right nothing's real is is rooted absolutely in kind of 80s like heavily inspired by kind of Madonna <laughs> With this record, I I kind of said that I wanted to go further back in time and further forward in time simultaneously, which sort of means I kind of end up like this. (laughs) And and then I'm in the middle of making it. I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? Sorry, I keep swearing. Um, But I guess I wanted the palette, the sonic palette of the record to be different because I didn't want to kind of make the same thing twice, but less good because I've already done the best I could do with what I did if that makes sense um and I was really drawn to I guess the the piano in in a way that I had been allergic to maybe on the first record um, and it was partly because I was falling in love and listening to a lot of soul records and listening to a lot of music where piano was a, a big feature and going God this sounds so great and it's so nice that it's just it's like the most original of all the instruments, almost. It's kind of the classic songwriting. That's where you start. You start on a piano, and if the song works on a piano, it's going to work whatever else you put on it.
1: yourself to own your love of That's the piano kind of was that the same kind of thing as like saying like yeah Josh. actually like Mar- Mariah Carey like I'm gonna allow myself to like love this thing that I would have yeah. said no to a no, while ago. I
0: th- absolutely I think it was kind of making making peace with kind of preconceptions or you know it's it's I think yeah at the older that I've gotten the more chill I've become and the more accepting I've I've become of of things and And also it just actually sounds really great. So I don't know what planet I was on before. It just sounds like the piano sounds really like, but I do love like the kind of piano that I like is really like warped old, like slightly even out of tune kind of. I kind of wanted some some of the record to just sound like these weird lost like Motown demos that have just been in an archive somewhere gathering dust.
1: an amazing image one of the things you talked about when you talked about the my bloody valentine song was that it was you were hearing that song at a time when you were starting to understand yourself Mm. as queer yeah um you've always been an out artist but this record you use gendered pronouns like you're it's very much like super gay (laughs) which is a really beautiful thing to hear in pop music what was it about the the moment that you were in or, or what was going on in your life that made you feel like this was the moment to to let that through in your music?
0: Well, I think the difference between my first record and this record is that this record is about one singular relationship, whereas the first one was about a couple of different unsuccessful <laughs> attempts at a relationship. And so, in part, it felt it felt like i had to use a pronoun on this record because i was talking about one person but then i would also be lying to if i if i didn't acknowledge the fact that in the four years since i re, you know three years since i released the first record and now i do probably feel just emboldened by the fact that there are so many more queer artists around releasing music that is overtly, explicitly, you know, unabashedly queer. You know, when I when I put out Nothing's Real, you know, other than Tegan and Sarah, who've been around for years, they weren't that, you know, you could count on one hand probably the amount of out queer female artists, or certainly in pop music, um, so I think it was a combination of one kind of being in love with one particular person, being emboldened by that love to, you know, like in the way that you are when, you, when you're in love, you're like, you want to shout about it, you want to talk about it and, and everyone else wants you to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also just the fact that I felt it just isn't a big deal in the same way that it might have been when I did it the first time.
1: There's just a kind of a larger, safer space to do that in. Uh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And 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 I mean, it was also a creative choice because I, w- as I was writing the record, I was discovering that it was going to be a record about this this singular love story, and and it was kind of spurred by a conversation that I'd had with. Um, some of my queer friends about how, in the past when we'd listened to pop music, we would just in- inadvertently flip the pronouns in our heads to apply to us um, so you know, if someone was singing about a "he," I'd just in my head sing "she like or I wouldn't even necessarily s- sing it it would just it would that, that would that would automatically happen in my, in my brain that flip and I was I suppose just curious if I could write essentially what is in many ways a very classic just record about love like just and and use gender pronouns that are queer because i'm obviously a woman um and would the opposite be true could could a straight person listen to it and would they just flip the pronoun themselves or would they just it just not matter to them or i guess i'm asking that question too so it's yeah a few different reasons
1: right on and i have to ask it's this record is pretty much all love songs there is one very sad song which is a love song called Tommy, which is also about death, but it's also about love. even like to write an entire album of love songs because it seems like writing happy stuff is actually harder or was well, it easy I've just always, because- I've always
0: found it harder. Yeah, Like I've yeah. never written a happy song ever. I think the happiest song that I'd ever written prior to this was a song about a panic attack, which when you <laughs> listen to the words, you're like, this is terrifying. Um, I'd never been scared about writing happy songs. I'd been scared about being happy because it would, might mean that I wouldn't write songs. Oh,
1: interesting.
0: Um, and actually I found having been happy that that wasn't true at all, that that's, that's a myth. You just write different songs. And maybe it was that I've never been that happy before. Maybe I've never felt that extremity of happiness in conjunction with being in a place in my life where I've got the time to write music that's the other thing it's like now I'm a full-time musician in the past you know when I was 15 16 I was at school all day and then I would just write songs at the weekend or when I had a normal you know like a nine to five I would take holiday like time off work and go into a studio um so maybe I just never my life had never aligned in that way for me to have the time and the space to write and be happy I'm not scared of
1: And This Is Forever, the title track from Shura's latest record. And I had such a great time doing that interview. I mean, festival interviews can be tough. People are tired, they've either performed or they're getting ready to perform, but Shura showed up and she was so present. And I really do appreciate that. She even stopped by the KTX tent backstage later to perform the sweetest stripped down version of her song, Religion, You Can Lay Your Hands On Me, that you'll probably ever hear. You can find a link to that video in the show notes page for this episode on KUTX.org. And you can also find a link there to her new record and a link to her tour dates, because if you can see Shura, then you should see Shura. And as always, we'll have a Spotify playlist on the show notes page where you can hear all the songs we referenced in this episode all the way through. You've come to the end of another episode of This Song. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced by Art Levy and me, Elizabeth McQueen. This interview was edited by the amazing Nadia Hamdan. She did a great job. Thanks to Deidre Gott and Peter Babb and Todd Callahan for all they do for this podcast. And yes, it is true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.